Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Today, we're taking a look ahead to where else Pope Francis might travel for the rest of 2021. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from a cloudy but warm, humid Rome, Colleen. Sounds just like here. Now, Jerry, uh, we had some news this week that the European Union is going to start allowing American tourists. And since you and I are about to talk about uh, some travel by Pope Francis on this show, uh, I was wondering, what what are the what's the travel situation look like in Italy? Right now, uh from the 30th of April, that's next Friday, as far as Italy is concerned, people from other states of the European Union can come without doing quarantine. This is not true for American guests, but all the there are about 350,000 restaurants and bars in the country, and they want American tourists to come. They want tourists from Asia to come. Obviously, now from India, Nobody wants anybody because the situation is really a disaster. Cardinal Gracie has called it a tsunami has hit the country. And he said it was foreseeable. That Basically, he didn't say it explicitly, but the government has re- responsibility for not taking action in advance. And uh, so we, we hope that by the beginning of June, we will be able to see tourists from the United States who have the, been vaccinated being able to come to the country. The European Union hasn't yet decided that, but it looks like the direction they're taking. Got it. So, Jerry, today we're going to talk about um, some of the trips that Pope Francis is hoping to make. Uh, And obviously, a lot of this depends on what the COVID situation ends up looking like. So I feel like we should just say that up front. Uh, We're going to talk about potential trips in September, in November. But Before we get into it, I want to just like ask a big picture question here, which is what is the purpose of the Pope trying to travel? Like when he's having to weigh, why do I go to a country? You know, why would it be worth it during a pandemic when there's all these risks? Um, I wonder, you know, what what's the bigger point? What's he trying to achieve with his trips? From the beginning of his pontificate, he said the church must reach out, reach out to people. Go out to meet people, not wait for them to come to your door. And he's had an extraordinary number of invites from different countries. The church in so many countries wants him to come, even in this crisis. And the governments of many, many countries are inviting him. It's a question he's got to weigh in his mind, as he explained on the plane. Uh, The decision to go to a particular country is something that matures over time. 
Now, for example, I know, this is a close collaborator told me, the Pope really wants to go to Syria. He wants to go to Damascus. This is a country that's been in war for 10 years, and he, he, he feels he, he, he's made the nuncio in Damascus, he's made him a cardinal. That's how much he feel, feels about, it's never happened in, in the past. But he himself wants to go. He wants to go to the Lebanon. The Lebanon is in a disastrous situation, economically, socially, health-wise. It's in a disastrous situation. The Pope feels he wants to go. So your question is, he is being invited from the church in the different countries, also from other religious groups. He's being invited from the government, and he himself feels that as Pope, as successor of St. Peter, his task is to go to meet the people, to confirm in the faith, to encourage the people, even those who are, do not believe, to give them some hope. And then he wants to also build good relations with the government, because that's very good, important for the church, but also it's important within the country. And generally, I think we also see a trend of he's always trying to build bridges, build build uh, connections across, you know, harsh divides within certain societies, right? Like, I know that, you know, when, when he went to Iraq, we talked about the interreligious tensions. Uh, we're going to talk today about Cyprus, which is literally a divided island, and how they're trying to work together, but he wants to, you know, maybe encourage that. You know, you, you used the word extraordinary earlier when you were describing how many invitations the Pope gets, and you've covered a few pontificates now. I, I was wondering... If you could talk in a bigger way about, you know, what what place does travel have in a pope's job? Does everybody interpret that the same way? Well, right up to the period of Paul VI was really in who was pope from 1963 to 1978. He was the one who really started the modern papal travel. And he did I think eight or nine foreign trips. And the the, the first one was to the Holy Land. And it was a memorable during the Second Vatican Council. Uh, then John Paul II, of course, was a globetrotter. He did 104 foreign trips. And he went to more than 100 countries, maybe 123, if I'm not mistaken. But Benedict also did quite a number of uh, trips, not, not as many, 20-something, less than 30, I think. But Francis, who came with the image of a person who doesn't like traveling, is now the second most traveled pope in history, with 52 countries he's visited on 33 foreign trips. Now, he's moving at a much faster rate than John Paul II. If he had a 26-year pontificate, he would probably have visited probably every country in the world at the rate he's going. Remember, he's a man of 84 years old. Right. I'm always surprised, you know, because we've covered a few of these trips together now at just like how fast the schedule is, I find it exhausting to even follow. And and here he is, you know, doing all of these events at his age. He, he said on the plane uh, when he came, when coming back from Iraq, he said, I, "I'm really more tired after this trip than anyone." Mm-hmm. We were destroyed, Colleen. <laughs> totally, we were destroyed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we were sleeping in an average of three, four hours a night, and getting on five planes or six planes in three days. 
and some getting on helicopters as well, and then going and coach across the 70 kilometers across the country. I know. I called you the next day after you got back from Iraq and asked you what you'd been up to. And you were like, I've just slept. I've just slept for a whole day. <laughs> yes, it's true. You're in, and to write in the midst of all this is, is quite an achievement because sometimes people are writing on, on the coach, on the plane, wherever they mm-hmm. can find a space and a moment and wherever there's power. That's right. But for Francis, he is now 84. He's got this sciatica. But I was talking to people who've seen him in the last few days, and they say he, he's really recovered now and he's back energized. And he said when he went to Iraq, he said, I feel as if I've been reborn. He, he's felt as if he's in a cage in the Vatican. Mm. He's always felt that. Right. And I know that he's he's had a hard time with the lockdown because of that. And then he, in, in Buenos Aires, he's walked the streets. Here, where can he walk? In the Vatican Gardens? Right, right. It's nothing. So health-wise, he is, while some may wish that he, he was stopped traveling and such like, he's just looking ahead. He's looking ahead this year and next year. You mentioned how how tired he was after the last one, though. Um, how do you interpret then these these plans? Is it just him pushing through, or or do you feel like he's had kind of a new burst of energy? He draws energy from this, and he feels also inspired. He he feels an inner push to go to these uh, countries. He he feels as if like God is calling him to go there. Yeah, and I know that you know. There's also just a real sense of vocation here, like you said, right? He feels that God is calling him. I remember, you know, Jesuits who knew Francis before he was Pope always said all the time, like, he was he was pretty tired. He was looking forward to retiring, you know, before he was elected. And suddenly, when he got elected, he just came out a new man with all of this new energy. And yeah, so maybe that's what we're seeing here, too. Pope Francis's trip to Budapest for the 52nd International Eucharistic Congress is official. He made the announcement on the papal flight from Iraq to Rome. So Jerry, you just wrote up a whole story on uh, Pope Francis's kind of trips that he's envisioning. Let's talk first about uh, his trip to Hungary and possibly Slovakia. Uh, Pope Francis mentioned on his flight back from Iraq that he wanted to attend the closing mass of the International Eucharistic Congress in Budapest. And he's said that he just wants to go to the mass, which is a little bit unusual, right? He he may only stay for a short time. And then he hinted that he might visit Slovakia as well. Can you tell me about these countries and maybe what's drawing Francis there? The Pope has said he's going to uh Hungary, to Budapest for the Mass. The president of Slovakia, Zuzana Kapchova, she said that he, he, we will welcome him. He's coming. And my understanding, uh, the, the, the Vatican is normally slow in announcing. Remember, it was the Pope himself in his address to diplomats in February that confirmed that the trip to Iraq was going ahead. Mm-hmm. So that one was surrounded by a lot of uh, a lot of uncertainty, right? But it is normal, as you wrote in your story, for them to confirm things about about three months ahead. 
Yes. But, uh, you know, if you're talking with people, you pick up what's on the way. Sometimes they're waiting for official letters. They follow a protocol as well. Francis says that the protocol operators are like terrorists. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah. Why did he say that? He, he feels that they want to have everything good. You have to do everything in a certain way. And he's not exactly given to protocol. Right, right. Uh, they want the letters to have arrived, the formal invitation from the government, the formal invitation from the bishop's conference. Well, Francis has already agreed with the president or the, with the prime minister that he's coming. He's agreed with the bishops. And so he, he sees this as really... Uh, I wouldn't say unnecessary, but he has not a lot of patience with it. Yeah, I'm kind of flashing back to that scene from The Two Popes. Good morning and welcome to the Sky Tour sales desk. Good morning. Um, I am looking for a flight from Rome to Lampedusa. Yes. I, I know I can book it on the internet, but, uh, you know, I've only just moved here. Name? Bergoglio, Jorge Bergoglio. Like the Pope? Oh, well, well, yes. Uh, in fact... Um, Postcode. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, Vatican City. <laughs> Very funny. Well, but uh, th I think this was close to the truth. Yeah. Um, so let's go back to Hungary, though. Why, why does he want to go to Hungary and Slovakia? Well, he, he wants to go to this Eucharistic, International Eucharistic Congress. It's the 52nd one. It's the second one that will be held in Hungary. The first was on the eve of the Second World War, 1938. And what is an International Eucharistic Congress? Where they really focus on, on, on the Eucharist, the importance, the centrality of the Eucharist for the Christian community, etc. But they also go into other issues. It's mostly priests who attend it, right? No, bishops. Bishops, okay. Bishops from many countries, priests, theologians, and the lay people from the local church. Uh, uh, I think, if I recall correctly, that Cardinal Pascelli, on the eve of the Second World War, went to Buenos Aires for the Eucharistic Congress. And he he had to go by boat then. Oh my goodness. Now we've, we now we fly in two, one, two hours, and we're there, we're... Buenos Aires, 14 hours, of course, but right. uh, uh, so he, he's going for this. And he, it's a moment for him to meet also the bishops, the maybe the cardinals from other countries. But I understand that the numbers of those coming from other countries is going to be vastly reduced because of the COVID restrictions in their own countries and in, in coming into the European Union. For example, from India, it's inconceivable today that some that the cardinal from Bombay will come from Mumbai. Uh, so you, you have these uh, factors that the, some people have actually suggested that they should cancel it. You've got the same problem with the with the Tokyo Olympics. You know, can people come from different countries and participate? Right. And this meeting was originally rescheduled from 2022, 2021 because of the pandemic. Um, now, Francis also has some hesitations about going to Hungary, right? It's more than 50% Catholic. So it seems like Maybe an obvious choice in some way, though he often prioritizes going to minority Catholic countries. But he's he's clashed a little bit with the the president Viktor Orban. Well, he's not clashed publicly, but he's the the policies being followed by the the president is fifty seven years old, much younger than the Pope. He's a populist president 
but uh, he's uh, also a hardliner. He built a wall between Ser- uh, frontier. He erected a frontier between Serbia and mm-hmm. uh, Hungary to prevent uh, what he called illegal migrants coming in. He, he doesn't want to participate in the European Union's division of migrants sharing out the the migrant influx into the country that come from North Africa or from the Middle East. He doesn't want that. So he's got a problem. And then he's introduced a decree which really is seen in the European Union, and uh, Hungary is one of the 27 countries of the European, as really undemocratic, where he has said that during the health crisis, he he got the parliament to approve that they will rule by decree. So, in other words, giving himself more or less absolute power in some ways. Right, which it seems like the Vatican would be concerned means that it's undermining democracy, right? Exactly, Colleen. You remember we had, in one of our earlier podcasts, we talked about when Archbishop Gallagher, and I asked him the question, does the church support democracy? Mm -hmm. Because the perception in the Vatican, and I think also President Biden has this same perception, is that there is a a real threat to democracy across the world today. And this is disturbing the Vatican, it's disturbing the Pope. And so he he does not want to be seen uh, to be openly clashing with the president of the country, but neither uh, being perceived as really coming in support of him. Right. And that's why he might limit this trip to just one day in Hungary, right? Yes, we don't know yet. We haven't the program, but this is kind of background. Sure. So is it normal for the Pope or maybe any Pope to use a trip to kind of leverage some soft power that way? Uh, Yes, there is always a political dimension to it. There's a spiritual dimension. There's always a political. Uh, You can't get away from that. I mean, his going to Iraq had a very distinct political dimension, whatever anybody said and whatever the Vatican wished to uh, portray it as, it still had a political dimension. And the Pope wasn't shy of uh, making clear that he had come to encourage the people to help them get out of the debt trap that they were in. Mm -hmm. Um, So then maybe on that point, let's talk about Slovakia and why why Francis might want to go there. Slovakia is, in a way... In today, it's a small country. It was part of Czechoslovakia up to 1993 when there was what was called the Velvet Divorce, when the Czech Republic and the Slovak Republic separated. They'd been together for almost 100 years, not exactly 100 years. And uh, he's going there because he got an invitation from the president. The president, a young woman, strong anti-corruption, very strong also on justice questions, exactly in a way the agenda the Pope is very wishes to endorse. And she came to him and she brought him Christmas wreaths, four Christmas uh, Advent wreaths before Christmas because she met him in December. And she brought him a whole lot of COVID kits, 10,000, I think, for him to use as best he could. So it sounds like they have a good relationship. He obviously connected with her. She, she went back pretty confident that he would come. And now he, he uh, before that everything is formalized, he says on the plane, well, it's Bratislava, the capital of Slovakia, is only two hours from Budapest by plane. September 12th is the date when the mass is to take place, the closing mass of the Eucharistic Congress in Hero Square in Budapest. <laughs> 
Pope Francis described the deaths of 130 migrants stranded in the Mediterranean Sea as a moment of shame after delivering the Regina Celi prayer on Sunday morning. Fratelli e sorelle, interroghiamoci tutti su questa ennesima tragedia. All right, so next up, let's talk about uh, Pope Francis's possible trip to Cyprus and Greece. This would happen in November, and some of the spots that you reported that he might be looking at going are actually the Moria refugee camp in Lesbos, which is the same one that he visited back in 2013, uh, and then also possibly Athens, and then uh, Cyprus, and he would visit the southern part of, of Cyprus. So maybe we could talk about, like, where the information come from? Is is any of this uh, confirmed yet? The Pope has a real soft spot for Greece because Greece has suffered economic crisis in the country, but at the same time still opening its arms to the refugees who are arriving in the boats, the asylum seekers who are arriving in these precarious boats. Last week, uh, 130 drowned, not because of Greece, but because Italy and Libya and Malta did not answer the appeals for help over two days. And Francis said, this is an hour of shame. And Francis really wants to encourage countries that are are taking in a lot of refugees like Greece. Yes, and he's also wanted, uh, this has been the uh, central point, the, the question of the refugees, but he's also been very concerned about how the country is suffering economically mm-hmm. and was really brought to its knees by a kind of a, an agreement with the European Union, with the uh, uh, international financial institutions. The country was brought to its knees, and Francis feels very great sympathy from that. He's coming from a country which is in a si- similar situation. So he, he wants to go there, and he, he wants to go to Athens. And of course, there's, he, he will meet the Orthodox Church has always been a, a little, the relations have been a little difficult. But he, he met the primate of the Orthodox Church of Greece, and he met the ecumenical patriarch, who's from Greece, of course, he, who is in Istanbul. So he expects to do that. And then he wants to go from there to uh, Cyprus. Right. And, and why Cyprus? I was kind of surprised by this choice. Well, he, he's had invitations from the, from the church from the government, that they're keen to have him. It's a divided island. Uh, Francis is a man who somehow helps to build bridges. The country got independence from Britain in 1974, I think. And then soon afterwards, uh, there was tensions because part of the population is Turkish, Cypriot, part of Greek. Then at a certain point, the Turkish forces invaded. And now the Turkish controlled territory is 36% of the country. I've been to the island. I've been there a number of times. And you you can see, I mean, I've crossed from, there's a UN buffer zone and you you give a little, you have to sign in, you have to get permission and then you go into the other side. But they've also been working together to to cure that divide, right? Like there have been talks for you know, almost since the beginning of this division, but they were renewed in 2014 and they seem to be making some progress. The Pope believes that you've got to get beyond the particular difficulties and try to find another way of talking. And the uh, European Union is very keen that the division of, of the, the, the island of Cyprus is overcome. Uh, Francis is keen that this, this should happen. The Greek Cypriots are keen. And I suspect many of the Turkish Cypriots are well. It's a question of how you 
overcome division. Few have used their voice in more profound fashion to shape the global climate movement than His Holiness Pope Francis. In 2015, his landmark encyclical letter, Laudato Si, called on all peoples across the world to be stewards of God's creation. Uh, Jerry, another visit that is possibly on the horizon is uh, that Pope Francis may be going to Glasgow to attend this UN climate change conference, the COP26 conference. Uh, now, I think this one is also in November, but it uh, depends on if Francis is invited, right? Which it's possible that he might not be because uh, the Holy See isn't actually a member of the UN. They have an observer to the UN. Um, what, what do you think might happen here? Well, I think it's very likely. Yeah. He did just speak to the Biden Climate Summit that was the group of world leaders. Francis is a big hitter in the field of working to deal with climate change. And the UN Secretary General in 2015 said publicly, and he came to the Vatican, and I remember being at the press conference where he was at. He made very clear that Francis was a very important actor in encouraging a number of countries to come behind the Paris Agreement, the Paris Accords on Climate Change. And now, of course, uh, uh, President Biden is on the same page as Francis on, on this issue. And the Vatican, I remember when I talked to Archbishop Gallagher, but also other people said to me, you know, we really feel very confident uh, that uh, the Biden administration may be able to be bold, be ambitious, and this is what it looks like what is happening. And so Francis would, would go, my understanding, he would go, go and return on the same day. Got it. Very short visit. The United Nations is keen that Francis exercises all his influence, his support, encouragement. Because it's very important, because Francis is also in these situations, speaking for the poor of the world, the poor countries, the countries that are suffering the negative consequences of climate change. Right. He's been speaking about that a lot. And these countries, I, I, I saw when we went to Mauritius, for example, they, they were praising him because they don't know what's going to happen to their island. They were praising him for bringing this issue of climate change onto center stage of the uh, global agenda. And also, everywhere, I mean, his encyclical in 2015, Laudato Si, it will go down in history as one that touched a key issue for humanity, not just for the Catholic Church, but for humanity at a critical point in human history. Right. And it, I mean, a lot of people have, have said that Laudato Si played a key role in influencing world leaders to sign on to certain climate commitments. But also, you know, back in, gosh, last spring, we interviewed some researchers from Princeton who uh, did a, a research a study of American Catholics and found that it actually changed American Catholics in the pew's perception of climate change as, you know, a, a moral imperative to act on and as a, an important political issue. So, yeah, it's, these things have a big impact when he throws his weight behind them. Much of Beirut is shattered this morning by one of the most powerful peacetime explosions ever. But the will to live remains strong even after this. A survivor this morning found under the rubble. For some, a miracle. Jerry, another papal trip that feels uh, 
like it's probably going to happen soon is uh, a trip to Lebanon. Pope Francis said on his flight back from Iraq that he would really like to visit Lebanon. Uh, And then last week he met with the prime minister designate, Saad Hariri, and he told him he wants to come as soon as possible. Um, so what's what's the draw on Lebanon? Why would Francis want to go there? What might his goals be? First of all, uh, his predecessors, John Paul II and uh, Benedict, have been to Lebanon. Le- Lebanon has the biggest Christian population, I think, of a country in the Middle East, where there is real religious freedom. Uh, secondly, you have quite good relations between Christians and Muslims in this country. It's kind of a witness to the whole of the Middle East, the country. Then, of course, Lebanon now has gone into a terrible economic crisis. And uh, if you look at the figures, it's it's a total disaster. It's a basket case right now. And then on top of this, you had the explosion in the, in the port of Beirut, which uh, was... Uh, many people thought something like an atomic explosion had taken place, and it did, did immense disasters to the city. People left, people moved to the country, people left the country. And then Lebanon has been hosting so many, uh, I don't know, it's a million, two million of Syrian refugees. Uh, I think, was it a quarter of the population are, are refugees? Mm-hmm. It's It's mind-boggling. And the Pope has been so positive about this country, that, that is, it has shown such generosity despite its own internal problems. So there's a lot of things here that the Pope wants to encourage. Uh, what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the formation of the government. Because if there's not a government, he can't go into the country. And Saad Hariri has struggled to form a government for about six months now. Hariri's father, Saad Hariri, his father was assassinated in Beirut. And he himself, in an interview, which I read in the Italian paper the other day, he says, I realize uh, my own life is at risk too. They have a system in the Lebanon where the president is a Christian, the prime minister is a Muslim, Sunni Muslim. Then it's all divided out, the the, the different positions. Uh, He wants to form a government, but the Christian president has problems with it over who who should be in, etc., and the question of the links with Iran, etc. Uh, so it's it's a complicated political thing, but the, but the Pope and the Patriarch now is taking quite an active role, telling the political forces, this country cannot continue for now six months without a government. We need a government. We've got terrible economic crisis. We've got people who are in real poverty. We've got a pandemic that is also reducing the health system, bringing it to its knees. The country must have a government. You have all to take responsibility. And that's, I think, the message Hariri took from the Pope. Definitely. And and if the Lebanese government wants the Pope to come, then they know that they have to get it together. They will find a space this year if, the, if there is a government, I suspect. All right, Jerry. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking with uh, with me about all of these possible trips. And you know that if and when any of them happen, uh, we will be talking about them here on Inside the Vatican. So I will chat with you next week. Thank you, Colleen. And uh, I think there's a lot for our listeners to follow in these, the rest of the, the next nine months. All right, we have covered a lot of ground today. But uh, before we go, here is what else we've got our eye on today. 
First up, uh, Pope Francis celebrated his name day last week, which is uh, the Feast of St. George, because as you know, before he was Pope Francis, his name was Jorge Bergoglio, so George. Uh, He celebrated the Feast of St. George by going down to the Vatican's COVID vaccination clinic, where a lot of the poor and homeless of Rome are getting vaccinated for COVID-19. And he brought a big chocolate egg with him and uh, broke it up in front of uh, everybody and, and shared the pieces with the crowd. So uh, I guess a a combined Easter and name day celebration there. (laughs) Next up, Pope Francis appointed San Diego Bishop Robert McElroy to the board of the Vatican's Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development. It's kind of the central place where the Holy See manages its peace and justice work, its uh, advocacy on migration and healthcare and charity and ecology. And Bishop McElroy uh, was probably an obvious choice for this position, given that he has long supported many of these issues and getting the church to really throw its resources into that advocacy work. And last up, uh, we will have our first crop of new saints since the pandemic started. Pope Francis has called for a consistory next week that will meet to approve several sainthood causes. One of those new saints is going to be Blessed Charles de Foucault. Uh, He has drawn a lot of devotees just because of his uh, very simple life that he lived. He inspired the Little Brothers of Jesus, a religious order devoted to simplicity and living among the poor. And that's what Charles de Foucault did as well. He, uh, He lived for a short time in Nazareth, and then he kind of realized this is where Jesus lived his hidden life, just among his neighbors and friends, uh, he realized that that's where most Christians spend most of their lives too. And so he uh, moved to a a very poor community and he just lived very simply and and tried to show God in that way. And that attracted a a lot of followers, not because of his preaching, but because of his example. So if you want to read any more about Pope Francis's name day celebration, his new appointment of Bishop McElroy, and the possible upcoming canonization of Charles de Foucault, you can read about all of those at americamagazine.org. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This week's episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Production assistance from Robert Balasser, the Jesuit Curia in Rome, and from Kevin Christopher Robles. Inside the Vatican is mixed for the last time this week by Noah Levinson, our beloved editor who's been with us for a few years. Noah, we're so grateful for uh, everything you've done for the show. So thank you so much and and good luck on on your next adventure. And for our listeners, you can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americmagazine.org and follow us on Twitter at I-N-S-D-E Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also email us your comments and questions at InsideTheVatican at americamedia.org. And if you want to support our show, the best way to do that is by subscribing to America Magazine. You can do that at americamagazine.org slash subscribe. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. 
Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.